You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Hey there, Monster Talkers. What follows is a fun interview with a guy who independently came up with the same kind of idea that we had when creating this show. Dr. Tor Hansen teaches at Western Washington University. And for several years, he's been teaching a course that uses monsters to talk about science topics. I know we have a lot of educators and students out there listening, so if you've been thinking about using monsters in your curriculum... Dr. Hansen's done your proof of concept for you. Karen and I had a ton of fun talking with him, and we hope you enjoy this discussion. A small content warning. We do get into parasites again in this interview, and some pretty disgusting stories are included. I actually trimmed this section down just a bit, but if you want extra disgusting parasite content, be sure to subscribe to Patreon. Uh, that's marketing. But even edited, there's still some mighty disgusting stuff here that we talk about. If you're squeamish, you might want to skip ahead a bit when we start talking about parasites. Or not. That's really between you and your stomach to decide. Monster dog. The way I found you is I, 25 years ago, I was in the Navy and made friends uh, with uh, a couple named Scott and Sarah. And uh, recently, uh, Sarah reached out to me and said that her son that his girlfriend was taking your course and, and had I heard of it and I looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, how did, how did I not know about this? This is right up our alley. So we're always looking at this sort of intersection between monsters and science and monsters and education. And a lot of our listeners are, uh, are instructors or academics or teachers and a lot of, and students. So they'd probably like to know about your course. So could, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and how you came to teach this course. Sure. Well, <clears throat> my name is Tor Hansen. I'm uh, I'm a PhD in geology and paleontology. So, uh, my my specialty is paleontology, fossils, in particular clams and snails. But um, in uh, I'm I'm now teaching at the uh, Western Washington University in Bellingham. You know, I got bored with teaching the usual stuff, and I made um, oh, about 15 years ago I created a dinosaur course, and um, 
it was really a lot of fun because I wasn't a specialist in dinosaurs, but it didn't really matter because it wasn't so much a course about all the details of dinosaurs. It was a course about how we know what we know about dinosaurs and, and how do you reconstruct them? What is the evidence? What is it? What, what are the possibilities for what it shows, you know, and, and how has our understanding of them changed? So one of the things I'd do in that course would show them an old movie, uh, not an old movie, but like an old documentary about dinosaurs and, and, and how they would talk about everything, you know, how they would describe how the dinosaurs lived and talk about it very matter of factly. Like they did this, they did that, you know, et cetera. Right. Do you, yeah, a quick question. I, I, I couldn't help but notice that you, you pronounce it Tor, but it's spelled yeah. like it's spelled like the Norse god. Um, right, right. It, does does that mean that both you and he share an interest in muscles? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I do like my muscles. <laughs> Sorry, I, that's okay. I should have well, warned you. There might be puns. Sorry. <laughs> that, that's okay. That's okay. Well, Norwegians don't pronounce the H, and so my father was Norwegian. He always said, actually, the Norwegians pronounce it tour. But that's like too much, so um, I just go with tour. Oh, that's all right though. Now I now it makes me think yeah. of tour de force, and, and there's all kinds of things going on in my head. I'm going to be quiet now. You back to your story. I'm loving it. <laughs> okay. Well, we're let's see. We're oh yeah. So so um, uh, so I would I would show an, an old documentary, let's say from BBC about dinosaurs and how they were very matter of fact about everything. This is what it did. This is what they did. They didn't talk about how they knew that. And then you look at one maybe from ten years later. And it would be different. And they'd say, well, they did this and they did that. And, and they didn't, ex- you know, so there was no, there was no um, scientific um, uh, evidence building involved that was on display. They would just sort of tell you what they did. And so the whole point of this course was um, to look at what evidence we had and what that could tell us and what are the possibilities and what does the new evidence say and that kind of thing. It's very, very using evidence to, to think critically about dinosaurs. So anyway, I love the course. These kids loved it and it was great, but I've always wanted to do something like the other monsters. I mean, dinosaurs were real monsters. I wanted to talk about the other ones, you know, like the sea monsters and the, and the, and the big giant um, crabs and sharks and all that kind of stuff. And so I had a good friend, uh, Bruce Beasley, who was in the English department here. And I, I just said, God, Bruce, you know, we ought to, we ought to do it. And, and I really, we really enjoy each other's company and, and, uh, we enjoy, um, we have similar, even though we're different educational backgrounds, we have similar likes and we both like creepy things and bizarre things and stuff like that. And so, um, I said, we ought to do a monsters course. And he just went, yes, I've been thinking about that. And so we, 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 decided to do one together and and um we the way we started was um let's both put together a syllabus because we decided we'd have two separate courses that would be linked somehow and uh and so i put together a syllabus and it was kind of like just monsters right you know like um well dinosaurs and giant sharks and just sort of real real monsters that have lived or are living and um and and then I saw his syllabus, and his was like um, <clears throat> Kafka's Metamorphosis and Frankenstein and 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 these various these various um, books that deal with with a variety of things that are that uh, were monstrous, not monsters per se, but monstrous. And that kind of opened my eyes, and I I started rethinking how I was going to do things and and how we would interact, Bruce and I. And so I stuck with a lot of my things like dinosaurs and 
giants and the physics of size and things like that. And but also tried to to inter, to relate to his whatever he was doing as much as possible. So when he talked about Frankenstein or assigned that book, I would talk about transplants. Like how does how do transplants work? And first of all, we'd have to have some sort of basic information about the circulatory system and, and immunity and all this kind of stuff. And then we'd I'd talk about what can we transplant and what can't we and and and, and how possible is Frankenstein now. And then he he one time assigned uh, Oryx and Crake, that book by Margaret Atwater, about a future where there's everything's messed up by genetic engineering. And so I did a the thing on genetic engineering. You know, what is a gene? What is DNA? How does it work? How does how does how does do do, do genes determine um, body types? And uh, and how can we alter that? And and what has been the progress in genetic engineering? And how you know how how creepy is it? Or how scary is it? Or how, what are the what are the downfall? So we would we would. We would interrelate like that, and it was a lot of fun. My, it was the most fun I've ever had um, creating a course and teaching it. And 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 as you can imagine, the students that were signed up for it were into it. I mean, it's monstrous. I mean, how can you not be crazy about that? And um, and so we, you know, it was just so much fun. And the, and the thing was that, you know, once I got out of things like dinosaurs and stuff, once I was talking about the immune system or genetic engineering, I was really out of my field. I mean, I'm a geologist, a paleontologist. So, you know, I was having to learn this stuff at this, you know, at the same time. And, and I was very excited about it. And the students were excited about it. And then that Bruce and I were both in this class and we, we'd attend each other's actual lectures. Like I'd be in his and he'd be in mine so we could see what each other was doing. And, and then they, the student, and it would be the same group of students in both classes. So they could see how we reacted to the same thing. Like, if you saw, I don't, I, and I can't think of an example right now, but you know, a, a concept or a particular monster, how Bruce would relate to it as an as a human as a, as a writer, and how he would what he would take away from that, and what I would take away from it. You know, I would look at it like, what kind of animal is that? Is that a reptile or is that a, you know? And I'd, I'd be kind of having this scientific kind of you know observation of it, and he would have this totally different way of looking at it which would involve you know how it made him feel and, and things like that so it was it was fascinating for me to see what a non-scientist how they viewed the world and it was fascinating for the students to kind of see that comparison i think that was kind of a long answer for you i think you've gone and answered all of our questions in that one <laughs> oh, no. i'm sorry <laughs> end of transmission <laughs> not a problem so I think we just want to uh, dig a little further into to, uh, how these monsters play a part in explaining real-world facts and information. Uh, so if we could talk a bit, a little bit about uh, these concepts and how they're covered. So looking at things like uh, you know, mimicry and size, if you could talk a bit about that. First of all, the, the, the source material for the monsters in my, for, for my course is, is movies. So um, whatever is whatever I can see in a movie that I would call a, a, a monster movie in a broad definition. Now you know there's King Kong and things like that, which are straight up monster movies. But then, there, but then there's also movies I think today that that satisfy the criteria that 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 do the same thing to us as as regular monster movies. That would be things like like movies about plague and um, and and the apocalypse, you know, and nuclear war, or and then. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so, because um, the, the movies tend to uh, reflect our fears at the time. You know, so 
in the 50s and the 60s when nuclear testing was such a big deal there was a lot of a lot of movies about mutant monsters that had been you know mutated by radiation and these days we have different fears we have fears about genetic engineering and fears about the, the environment and stuff and so a lot of our so-called monster movies tend to be environmental disaster movies and and, and plague movies and genetic engineering kind of things you know, like Gattaca and stuff like that so anyway I'd use that I'd use those subjects and then I would I would basically find something that I thought I could relate to something so for instance I think mimicry is fascinating I mean the the, um, the mimicry in the, in the natural world is, is is amazing and um, and so I would talk about different types of mimicry and how it evolved and show them you know in various insect things, insect mimicry and things like yeah, fa- phasmids, right? I, it's like the leaf walker and the yeah, 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 the yeah, walking camouflage, sticks. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I love yeah. those. Yeah, oh, they're just so cool. And then you can find there's you know various movies have um, have like the X Men has Mystique, which is a mimic. It's like an octopus mimic. And there's a movie called Mimic. And you know there's various various movies that that uh, have that play on this, you know, where you have this camouflage, like the predator is a, is a, oh, is yeah, a camouflage. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, big mimic. I, I got to see, uh, that was a Guillermo del Toro movie. And I, I got, I was lucky enough to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I caught yeah. a showing of that introduced by him at dragon con. Probably oh. what was that? 99, I guess I, it was like uh, 99 or 2000. And I felt so lucky cause no, nobody really knew him. I think before that he had only done, um, he did a vampire movie that was uh, an indie that was really popular among you know fans, but had really not broken the mainstream. And so Mimic yeah, was his yeah. first big commercial film. But yeah, he's, he's oh, okay. gone yeah. on to make some real art. But yeah, a fun movie because yeah. it combines not only this sort of mimicry concept, but also uh, genetic engineering because those are all supposed to be cockroaches. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was <laughs> interesting. You know, so oh, did I'll you know it's based on a uh, it's based on a Pulp Fiction story? Like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the, the, the actual short story is not nearly as uh, long, obviously, <laughs> but it is yeah. about a, basically an insect that can disguise itself as a human being and, and then raises its family in, in a big city. It's really interesting. Oh, <laughs> oh that's cool. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm a monster nerd in case it didn't. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I teach the whole classes of monster nerds, which yeah. is like, you know, it's, wow. <laughs> I'd love to talk about uh, how you talk about size because one of the things you had in oh, there yeah, was yeah. weighing dinosaurs, which I think is just a tremendous thought experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the size, the size. That's the first thing I do. Well, the way I start off the class is I talk about the history of monsters and stuff like that, and and also fear, and what our bodily reaction to fear and how our brain processes information, and then I go into um, size, physics of size, and this is really interesting because. Um, size and surface to volume relationships basically govern a lot about life and so um this this comes into monsters because you know so many monsters are just big and and so many all the giants you see in movies are just um uh proportional giants in other words if you see that the 50-foot woman for instance looks the same proportions as a a normal woman, she's just 50 feet tall, or King Kong looks like a normal gigantic gorilla. And and so what I point out to them is that as something gets bigger, as a, as a three-dimensional object gets bigger, its weight, what's volume and its weight, 
increase much faster than its strength does and 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 its surface area does so um if for instance um you made me i'm i'm six and a half feet tall and i'm a tall guy if you uh made me 13 feet tall in other words irradiated me with you know plutonium cobalt radiation i grew overnight to 13 feet um I would be four times as strong as I am now. In other words, I could lift four times as much as I could, but I would weigh eight times as much just because I was twice as tall. I'd be twice as tall, twice as wide, and twice as deep. So it'd be two times two times two. I'd be eight. I'd weigh eight times as much. This is, this is so the, you, the square cube law, right? Exactly. The square cube law. Exactly. My daughter told me about this. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's cool. Well, it's great. So, so, um, uh, you know, as, as you get, you know, your weight increases much faster than your strength does is the point. So as you get bigger like that, you have to be, you have to change proportions in order to support yourself. So you have to get, you know, if I was twice as tall, I'd have to be more than twice as wide. I'd have to be actually, uh, two raised to the power of 1.5, almost three times as wide, uh, in order to support myself. And so I, I show them, you know, I show them uh, monsters as you see them in, in um, oh, and you can see this in real life. You know, you can take various kinds of animals, and, you know, uh, that are basically the same shape, like hominids. And as they get bigger, they have to get thicker in order to support that extra weight. So anyway, you know, I, I'll show them pictures of, of the 50-foot woman, like from that movie. Then I'll show them a reconstruction of what the 50-foot woman would actually have to look like, which would be, you know, a very, like, barrel-shaped kind of person. And so we go through that, and then we'll go through. Well, what would she sound like? And and um, in um, you know in the movies, it's always just sort of a big booming voice, but it's the same voice basically, just louder. And I, I we then we to do to analyze that, we talk about well, well, what is sound? What is the range of human hearing? Which is uh, the range of human hearing in a in a in a good ear, a young ear, is from twenty hertz to twenty thousand hertz basically. And, but as you get older, you, that, that gets attenuated, especially at the high end. So my upper end now is about 15,000 hertz, and, and Bruce's is about 1,000 hertz. <laughs> he had too many rock concerts. <laughs> I think the, uh, that we, we heard about that in the, the Yanni Laurel online meme thing. Uh, oh, yeah. All my kids heard Yanni, and I heard Laurel, and apparently it was related oh, to age. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they have, they have um, in, in around convenience stores, they'll play uh, hyper. Uh, high high uh, frequency sounds uh to discourage young people from loitering around the, in the parking lot but the older people can't hear it so, they just walk <laughs> up. so so if you if you make somebody bigger like twice as big their voice is going to be dropped down in terms of uh, frequency and so I'll, I'll play a recording of um you know my voice or some normal voice and i'll play it at twice the size and, and you you can't understand what they say in fact you want to hear that i'm going to play a recording of me saying something just, just saying something. Let's see if you can hear it. It sure is weird being this small. Isn't it kind of cold in here? I'm freezing to death. Now, did you hear that okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that, what I was saying doesn't really matter. Here's what it would sound like if I was twice as big. Okay, here's what it sounds like. Distorted. Here, yeah, very distorted. What you're only hearing is the is the higher the um, 
when you drop my voice down, because a voice is made up of, of a complex um, uh, range, chords, basically, of, of frequencies. And if you, if you lower it by half, you, you cut off a whole lower range, and it, and it takes a lot of information away. So, for instance, here's me if I was, if I was five times as large. Let me play that. Scary. Wow, you sound like a, dr a drunk Klingon. What? Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I know. I did. It did. So you know, just things like that. Just like trying to trying to apply physical laws to these monsters, and also then explaining. You know, you know. In the process, we talk about frequencies and the range of human hearing and all this kind of stuff. You know, and it's just it's interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yvette I, I, Vickers, uh, who played the 50-foot woman, she's also kind of famous yeah. in, in skeptical circles because um, she was taking a health supplement that uh, led to her death. And because of that, it led to, uh, I think she sued before she died, but ultimately died from taking the, the supplement. And it led to the sort of F, uh, what is the FDA uh, governances around uh, supplementation and, and having them inspected. Huh. So kind of oh. a weird bit of trivia there. That's an interesting movie too, The Fifty Foot Woman. It is. I, I was just telling Karen I have a big poster. I have a movie sized poster of it in my basement. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah, of you it. weirdo. Yeah, well, I, I love showing it to my kids because uh, it's one of those classic examples where the poster doesn't really meet the words. Like the label says Fifty Foot, but she's the poster has her such a, a titillating pose with like her lifting yeah. cars and stuff. She's way yeah, more than yeah, fifty yeah. feet tall. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, well, she actually seems to kind of change. I think she looks like she changes size in different parts of the movie depending on whatever their 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 um, scale is, you know, that's present and stuff like that. It's 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 pretty pretty bad. <laughs> but you know, you know what's interesting is when I, I show a clip from that movie um, because it came out right after the Sputnik was launched, and um, you notice at the beginning she's. The, the, the alien that comes comes in this thing that looks like Sputnik and beeps like Sputnik. And then she's, you know, then she shrieks and she, you know, uh, and the movie proceeds. But it's just interesting how they, how the, um, you know, we were very, the, the, we were very, Americans were very afraid when Sputnik went up because for the first time, you know, an, an enemy power had, had something in space that was flying over us. It caused a lot of anxiety. And so then this this comes up in this movie, and you know, and, and it's not it's not overtly about that, but you know, that's that's how these monster movies, um, that's how they come into being because it's expressing something we're afraid of, basically. I'm just excited because this is all stuff right up our alley, and I think you've taken sort of the same approach or same tack, which is if it induces fear, it can be a monster, which is yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, it's hard yeah, to yeah. set a scope because so many people find monsters in funny places and. Uh, and mm -hmm. we don't want to limit our scope on the show too much, but you've you've come to the same conclusion as uh, in the class where I talk about disease and plague. Uh, I have, just going to ask had, about that. <laughs> oh yeah, well I have this. There's this commercial for uh, some you know some flu medicine, and and it starts off with it shows this guy getting on this bus and he looks really bad. You know he's got his eyes are all red and droopy and he's, he's sniffling and he just looks and he's getting on the on the bus. And everybody's looking at him and kind of getting away, you know, moving away from him. He's a monster. And and um, and then, you know, he takes the medicine and all of a sudden he looks 
normal and you know happy people like being near him and getting everything but it was he they made a monster out of him you know this 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 sick man it was really fascinating and what other kinds of plague do you look at well the um well you know we start off by talking about you know what kind of do the science of it so like what's a bacteria what's a virus um what's the immune how does the immune system work and this kind of thing and how do viruses and bacteria relate to the immune system that kind of thing then we'll just look at some specifics and and the, the one that's the most, um, in, I talk about bubonic plague, but the one that's most interesting is, is uh, smallpox. And, um, and, and part of the reason it's interesting is it's, it's very monstrous. It's one of the greatest killers of, of humans you know, ever. It's, mm-hmm. the only, it's one of the few diseases that we get that, that are um, specific to us and us only. So if we, if we eliminate smallpox, in humans, there's no animal reservoir from it, so it's gone, right? So it's been a it's been a you know it's been a scourge on humans for for millennia. Um, but then in um, oh the 70s, I guess uh, we actually killed it or wiped it out in the wild. In other words, through a, a very concerted set of efforts to. To immunize, you know, to, to we to, you know, we had we, we have immunization for smallpox for a long time, but we would we would uh, teams of doctors would go to places where it appeared in the in 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 the world elsewhere, and basically circle the the outbreak and just work their way in immunizing everybody, and they did this enough that it, it no longer occurred in the wild. There is there has not been a, a wild smallpox infection in decades, so you'd think. Okay, we've eradicated that. We've eliminated that. But the Soviet Union, well, well, now Russia and America, and maybe somebody yeah. else—I don't know who else—have have kept it alive. And mm-hmm. and the the um, presumably to you know study it if we need to. But the Russians have have weaponized it. It's something that's very easy. In fact, it's been weaponized before. Um, uh, uh, European settlers gave well. First of all, smallpox is a virus, and it can it can um, exist in a dry. It can just exist, you know, as a crystal for for a long time. So if you have um, a, a blanket that was around a person that had smallpox, that blanket will contain the smallpox virus for well, I don't know how long for at least months or years. Mm-hmm. Um, so European settlers, to in order to to deal with the the, the Indian problem, quote unquote, would give blankets, smallpox inflected blankets to, to tribes, and it would kill them off. And so they, it was basically the first, one of the first um, uh, biochem, bioweapon attacks, you know. So anyway, the, um, the Russians have, have, have weaponized it. It's very easy to do. You know, you just basically crystallize it and put it in a, in a warhead and you can blow it up and it spreads all over the place. And, they, and they've also um, made it more virulent. And the thing that's really scary about that is that, well, that's scary enough as it is, but um, we're now what you call a virgin population. I mean, the world hasn't, you know, nobody that exists, no young person today gets vaccinated for smallpox. And in, in, a, um, in, an, in an untested population of what they call a virgin population, one that hasn't been seasoned by, you know, generations of this, this disease, the smallpox mortality rate can be 60, 70 percent, which is very high horrific Mm -hmm. 
it's breathtaking. And one of the, and one of the, you know, the, there's a movie clip I showed that this relates to, well, there's all, obviously there's the, the plague movies like Outbreak and Contagion and things like that. But the, the clip I like to show is this clip from, um, I think it's from the first um, Lord of the Rings. I forget which one, but it's, it's, it's um, the elf king, whose name I've forgotten. Is it Elrond? Yeah, 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 Elrond. I, 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 I want to make sure I keep my nerd cred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. The ancestor, there's a scene where 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 Elrond and the ancestor of Aragorn <clears throat> have teamed together and they've beaten Sauron, right? And they've got the ring, and all they have to do to defeat him is take the ring and throw it back into the into the into the bowels of Mount Doom, right, and let it melt. And they take it there, and Elrond says, "Throw it in," you know, Isidore or whatever whatever his name is. And the guy won't throw it in. He puts in his hand and says, no, you know, I, you know, it's power. He's going to keep it. And that's exactly what the, the Americans and Russians did. They, they had smallpox conquered. They had the ring in their hand and they could have destroyed it then, but they didn't. And, and now it's been weaponized. And it's ever, if it's ever used, it'll be, it'll be disaster. Was that dramatic enough for you? <laughs> Very dramatic, but I've, I've got a question about that. So, if there's a vaccination for smallpox, is there yes. actually a treatment? There's no treatment for it. There's no no treatment. treatment, just a vaccine. And and the and well, first of all, there is a vaccination for it, and we have enough vaccine stockpiled to treat caregivers. Oh, so okay. Room, like on the order of tens of thousands of of doses that are sort of stockpiled, but we don't have anywhere near enough to like cover the whole population you know and and the other thing that's interesting about smallpox is, is there's actually several things that makes it almost a perfect uh disease and that is it has a um two-week incubation period during which time you're contagious but you don't show symptoms so you can have it no symptoms but you're giving it to everybody else and and it's very very communicable it's it's actually it's actually um similar to cigarette smoke it's actually the particle that's the size of cigarette smoke so if you if you can imagine somebody that smokes um and you walk by them and they're not smoking but you can smell the smoke on them if they were a smallpox victim you'd have caught smallpox wow so yeah in 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 the class um what i would do is actually I'd, i'd bum a cigarette from somebody and um I'd, I'd put it, I'd blow it into a bag with a, with a towel and I'd bring that in the class in a plastic bag and I'd open the towel up and I'd just wave it around. I'd say, can you smell cigarette smoke? And I'd say, they'd go, yeah, yeah, I can smell that. Well, you're all inspected. This is a smallpox blanket. You've all been infected with smallpox. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's the way to get their attention. Yeah, no kidding. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember in the Navy, there was always talk about Plum Island and other sort of sites where they stored these sort of uh, uh, viral, you know, g- genetic yeah. weapons. I don't know how you want to call yeah, them, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's deeply yeah. disturbing because I, I imagine if you could vote on it, no Americans, or at least not a sufficient number of Americans, would want to keep these alive. But yeah. you, uh, there they are, you know. <laughs> they, there's somebody, always somebody willing to keep them beyond our control. And, and, yeah, and they usually, it's usually in in the context of uh, well, we need to be able to study it so we can counter it. Yeah. And so you know, both sides are doing that, you know, and so you know, you got the obvious you know, problem with that. I remember um, thinking, you know, 
you know, the, the 1918 flu virus was, um, Oh Lordy. Yeah. yeah. was a, was a big one. And that was, that was very contagious and, but it's gone now. Um, it, but you know, they recently dug up some people who had it and able to reconstitute the DNA. And I'm going, Oh my God, why would you do that? <laughs> right. And, 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 but they say they want to study it so that, that it, um, you know, so they can be prepared for, you know, if it comes back again, you know, and and usually these things are always met with a caveat, but we'll be very careful with it, you know. Right, but that's a, that was a deeply disturbing uh, infection because uh, it killed primarily healthy people who were able to normally fight off these sort of things, and yeah. it, it, yeah. it caused internal bleeding. Uh, yes, which is just you, you basically bled out internally, which is not normally one of your flu symptoms, right? <laughs> like no, Ebola, no, I think. No, I hadn't heard that one. That sounds like Ebola. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, but if, apparently, if in, in a normal, healthy young person who caught it, it, you basically you bled out internally, as among among you know you had the normal flu symptoms and then some. Right. Right. Uh, Whoa. But we, but we and, noticed that you also covered parasites, which we've talked oh, about yeah, a few yeah. times. Uh, we've yeah. had. Um, <laughs> I know. Stretching already. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In in, uh, our studies, uh, you know, we see it uh, the sort of monsterization of normal animals because things like mites lead to where they basically mites will lead to mange, which leads to hairlessness, which causes people to uh, turn dogs into chupacabra in their assessment, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, interesting. But you, I imagine, took it to a different place. Well, I mean, parasites are just terrifying. I mean, they're just the most, the most interesting things. Um, and a lot of a lot of um, monsters in the monster movies are basically some kind of parasite. I mean, the alien uh, goes through a parasitic lifestyle, you know, in the alien movies, and um, they're just they're just monstrous. I mean, they're just really interesting. It's something that's eating you. Sometimes Bruce would assign the alien movie, and so I did a a, a um, talk on it or a lecture on it where I talk about all the real world um, animals that inspired alien. Cause I wanted to, you know, the, the alien is one of my, and you ask you, I know you're going to ask me what my favorite monster is. It's probably one of my favorite um, non real monsters because it's actually been pretty well thought out and has a life cycle. You know, it's not just some gruesome thing that comes on and causes havoc. It has, it has, you know, life cycles, metamorphosis, it goes through different changes. It, it, they actually spent some time trying to see, you know, make a reasonable, um, or, you know, organism. And so I'll have, I'll, I'll talk about the different things that inspired it. And, and, uh, you know, and that's in, in my, in my uh, course on the online version, I have the students write an essay about, you know, different animals that inspired, um, that are like, or seen in the alien. And one of them is the ichneumon wasp. And the ichneumon wasp, um, it, it finds a prey, lays eggs in it. Like, say, that prey might be a caterpillar or a spider. Lays eggs in it uh, and also paralyzes. They sting, they'll sting the, uh, the, the host, lay the eggs in it or on it, and then the eggs hatch <clears throat> and then inside the uh, host and eat, proceed to feed on the host while the host is alive. So the host is still alive and, and breathing and circulation and all that kind of stuff. And the parasite eggs will... Uh, maggots will feed on it and and eat the things eat the parts that aren't necessary eat the stomach and eat the the let you know the internal uh, muscles and things like that leaving the part that keeps it alive leaving the heart going and then finally eat that last kills the host and then they burst out of it 
And so, um, you know, this is, you know, like the chest burster scene in, in Alien. And um, it's really, uh, and, and this is a particularly interesting and gruesome example, but mm-hmm. it turns out that there, <clears throat> there are at least one and usually more parasites that are specific to every species. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. You know, we have many parasites that are specific to us, although, you know, you and I have probably... um, gotten rid of most of them now but you know in nature there's so you know a lot of people have a lot of parasites thanks to that shampoo yes no yes yes (laughs) and and you think about that when you think about that it's probable that three quarters all the species on the planet are parasites that's a lot that's a lot parasites there are non-parasites and the other cool thing about parasites is they is a lot of them affect your behavior so um, t- uh, there's a there's a parasite called um, toxoplasmosis that cats get, and or cats pass it. It's a it has a it has a um, <clears throat> uh, a life cycle that involves going through a rat and then going to a cat, and so somehow it has to get you know from the rat to the cat, and then back to the rat again, and and so once it's in the rat, it wants the cat to eat the rat so it can get into the cat. Are you following me? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've heard yeah, this yeah, poem. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it, 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 once, it's, once the parasite is in the rat, it affects its brain so that no, it loses its fear of cats and, in fact, will be attracted to cat urine. And if it sees a cat, will walk out and expose itself to the cat, whereupon the cat will eat it. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, it goes to its, continues its life cycle. 
And so a lot of parasites affect uh, human be- will affect behavior of the host. And, and that can also affect it, uh, pregnant women, can't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's um, it's been shown to um, affect human behavior. Um, it, it tends to make um, people less risk averse and had a variety of other you know issues involved. And uh, it just it just makes me. Uh, uh, yeah, it's freaky. It's, it's, it's documented yeah. in the uh, documentary song uh, by Ted Nugent, "Cat Scratch Fever." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we we also oh, talked scary. about uh, yeah, <laughs> we talked about uh, you know how ants can be controlled by fungus and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there there's the uh, the caterpillar that freaks me out the most is the wasp that infects the caterpillar, and then not only does the caterpillar host the wasp larva. But also, after the larva hatch out of the, the the caterpillar, it serves as sort of a a protector for a while. And it was oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, what a horrific yeah. conjunction of, of natural selection. I yeah, yeah, I, mean, nature. Just, I know. Yeah. Na- nature is hideous. I mean, yeah, it's just, the real the natural world is a monstrous place. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I'm still grossed out at the moment by a picture I've been seeing on Facebook that's uh, doing the rounds of a snake that was caught in Australia. Uh, that has 511 ticks ah! in it. Oh, and, have. and and yeah. the, the picture is just horrible. I didn't oh, sleep too I, well I, that night when I saw it. And yeah. Um, yeah, the, the poor thing, I think, was found in a pond just trying to, to cool itself down. And so it's oh, it's yeah. been uh, saved um, and oh. it has anemia, but it's a disgusting picture. What? But I'd also oh. seen a picture of a koala that had had over 100 ticks and and uh, was suffering from anemia too, but they both have survived, so that's good, but oh, it's gross. Geez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's end this conversation. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what the, when I do the, when I would do the parasite lecture, I would usually have a, I'd, I'd tell them ahead of time, bring a bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you uh, mentioned uh, Frankenstein a little bit uh, a while yeah. ago. Could you tell us a bit more about uh, how you discuss Frankenstein in your classes? Well, I, well, he, uh, Bruce would go through the, the book and talk about you know how you know a variety of aspects of the of the you know, of the book and basically who's the who's the real evil thing in the book and and, and and things like that. And I would I would take the view of okay, well, can we make a Frankenstein? I was always you know the the, the sort of the science side of it, and I would talk about what we can transplant and. And um, what we can, it's actually pretty interesting how um, you can uh, uh, take a hand, for instance, let's say, let's say, you, let's say I, my hand was cut off for some reason, um, and, but it was a good clean cut. And um, in fact, this has happened with um, like somebody, I know, uh, I think a power line or something like a really strong bolt of, of electricity actually severed the hand. So the hand was okay. They took the hand and they sewed it on to his chest and hooked up some blood vessels to keep it alive. So there's this picture of this guy with a hand on his chest, a live hand just sort of there attached to his chest. And uh, and in the meanwhile, they they worked on his the stump of his arm to get it ready to put the hand back. And so they had to kind of reconstruct the arm stump and things like that. Then, you know, when they were ready, they took the hand off of his chest and put it back on his on his uh, on his arm. And so, if you keep the blood flowing to these these organs, you can, um, you know, they, they just live. So it's a it's a pretty fascinating thing where you can take these pictures and you'll just see people's body parts kind of hanging off different parts of them, you know, while they 
while they, they fix things. And then you can transplant them between people if you got the right blood type, blood, blood type match and stuff. And um, the only the only issue is it takes a long time for the nerves to grow back. You can, you can reconnect the blood vessels and the muscles and all that will work, but they won't feel anything for quite a while. Nerves actually have to grow from the from the broken part and they grow about a millimeter or two millimeters um, like a, uh, a day. So it takes a while for them to, maybe maybe it's actually slower than that, I forget. It takes, it takes some months for them to get feeling back in things. But just, you know, I saw all these pictures of, of people with, with um, had hand transplants where they'll, you know, they'll have this arm, uh, like this skinny little arm, and all of a sudden there's this big fat arm that's kind of stuck on, you know. You don't necessarily get the right fit. So there'll be these, you know, it looks like like Popeye or something with these big hands and stuff. And the only thing they they can transplant most things now. They can't transplant a head yet, um, but there have been experiments with with um, animals where they literally did transplant a head. You can't um, um, the nerves won't grow back. The, the 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 spinal nerves won't grow. Once you cut a spinal nerve, the central nervous system, it's it's gone. Only the peripheral nerves will grow back, meaning like the, the, the nerves in your trunk, you know, limbs and stuff. But if you if you cut them cut off the head, then then that's not going to grow back. But you can hook up the blood vessels and all that kind of stuff, and you can you can survive. I mean, you you know, you'd have a, a living person, their head would be on another body. Um, they could eat and everything, they just wouldn't be able to move the body. They haven't done that with a person, but they've done it with with a monkey and um the russians made a two-headed dog they took a dog um, cut off its head and sewed it onto the neck of another dog a bigger dog and both heads you know the the, the big host dog was was okay and the, and the head that they sewed on was okay it was fed by the blood from the the bigger dog but it couldn't do anything and it was it was it was very grumpy also um the transplanted head. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen some of that on, on the internet. I was, I was, yeah. I was, I was simultaneously, I was like simultaneously skeptical and horrified because it seemed plausible. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able. To, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Yeah. And and then that and then in our class that gets into discussion where I would ask Bruce, I'd say, well, Bruce, you know, um, we we would have this discussion is how much if 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 we started transplanting Bruce, let's say transplant his arms, give him new arms. And new legs, you know, how long is it still Bruce? And when is it not Bruce anymore? Um, and, and, and I, I tended to glee towards it's still Bruce as long as it's, his head is there. As long yeah. As that, that's, mind, that's the materialistic. You know? Exactly. That's, that's, that's the, yeah. And he was, he was all into, no, no, you know, once, once you've replaced, you know, my heart or this, then it's, it's not all Bruce. It's, it's something different, you know, cause, cause he's more of the, you know, uh, the the person is in the parts too. That, that, that's the, uh, the Cuddy Sark argument. The the the, the ship, the Cuddy Sark. They talk about that as a philosophical question. If you keep replacing the boards intermittently, how many boards before it's not really the Cuddy Sark? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's a it's a, it's a curious question, but I, I as a materialist, I'm inclined to agree. Until you swap out the brain, you're yourself, you know. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, yeah. I, it's subjective to a point. <laughs> it, well, absolutely. You know, I mean, there's certainly parts well, of my body I'd love to swap out, but uh, only if the nerves work. Right. Well, you know, there's that, you know, there's that, ep there's that episode of the of Star Trek: The Next Generation where where there's this alien who is um, who is basically 
uh, it's 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 not a mind, but it's it's an alien that that occupies a, a body, and so it's lost its host, and so it occupies Riker for a while, and um, and 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 um, the nurse who the doctor Crusher, I couldn't remember the name, yeah, Crusher, well, actually had fallen in love with with the alien when he was in his original body, then it occupies Riker, and she's a little disturbed by that. But she's okay. She it's still it's still the personality in Riker now in the Riker's body. So she's falling, still in love with him. And then they finally get to the planet where the alien is headed, and is going to be put into their his, his, its new body. And that happens, and it comes out, and it's a woman's body. And it says, "Okay, you know," talks to the doctor. Let's let's go off, you know, and be and, and live happily ever after together. And and the uh, the doctor can't go there. So that was interesting. And there's the, there's the personality in three different bodies and then just sort of that whole, you know, where's, who's, who's the person. That's good sci-fi though. Yeah. I, it was, <laughs> it is, yeah. They had some good ones. So uh, we, we've got one more question about your curriculum and then we'll move on to some more meta questions. But yeah. uh, you, uh, as a, you know, one of our favorite monsters here is Bigfoot uh, and especially oh, yeah, where you yeah. live. How, how do you use Bigfoot in the course? <laughs> Well, I talk about Bigfoot. I go to the Bigfoot Research Organization website. I show, you know, the stuff that they show, like, you know, all the places where it's been found. Where, no, not been found. All the, the sightings for it. Um, talk about the evidence. And then I talk about, you know, so I talk about footprints and lots of sightings and things like that. And, uh, and I talk about the validity of sightings. You know, I'll give a, I'll give a story about myself, which is, I was walking down the street one time with a friend in San Francisco. In San Francisco, at least when I was there, had a lot of panhandlers and people on the street, you know, kind of talking to you. Still does. Still does? Okay. So I'm walking down the street, and I'm talking to my friend Trisha. I'm kind of looking at her. We're coming to a corner where there's some some um, newspaper boxes and things. And all of a sudden, I hear this growl. And out from behind the – I can see out of the corner of my eye because I'm kind of looking away. I can see this big German shepherd lunging at me from coming out from behind the, the mail, uh, newspaper box and lunging at me and growling. And I just leap like three feet in the air and jump out of the way and go, and I look back and it was this guy on all fours with burlap bags over him. And he, what he did was, I mean, what he was doing was coming out from behind the paper box and growling for money, right. <laughs> scaring people for money. Wow. So, I was scared by myself, practically. I gave him $2 because he did a good job, you know. But what was interesting about it was that I saw, for a moment there, I saw a German shepherd. And I can still picture it. And it, and I, it had a weird color pattern. And, you know, I could pick it out of a lineup, probably. But it didn't exist. Yeah. And, um, and so that's the interesting thing about, you know, your brain and seeing things. And yeah. so, you know, so I talk about that, you know. There's a guy uh, down at Fisherman's Wharf, because uh, I used to live in the Bay Area. I was there for about eight years. And uh, there's, there's a guy at Fisherman's Wharf, and he hides behind uh, a small tree. And I think they call him the Bushman or something, and he leaps out <laughs> at people and and scares them for money. I've heard rumors <laughs> there's on $100,000 per annum or more. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> a few well, people I have a similar shtick. <laughs> Yeah, well, I gave him more than I gave the other you know, handlers. I mean, he, 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 I got good value. Something different. <laughs> <laughs> Entertainment. Yeah. yeah. So, 
um, yeah, then I talk about, okay, well, you know, we have this, we, we, you can see sightings. You look at a map where they show sightings since all over North America, everywhere. And I show, uh, although there's more of them in the Cascades, you know, up in the Northwest, but you can see them, you can see them in the suburbs of Washington, DC. You can see them all these different places, you know, that, that isn't reason that aren't reasonable to see a Bigfoot, um, or a creature like that. And then also you look at the legends, you know, and it turns out that almost every culture has a come some kind of Bigfootish legend. And, you know, like in America, you go to Florida, the skunk ape. In Louisiana, it's the Wookiee. You know, Wookiee is actually the Louisiana version of a, of a Bigfoot. Um, in, um, in the Northeast, there's the New Hampshire Devil, I think it's called. Um, and then there's the Yeti. And then there's, there's, a, there, there's some... Yowie in Australia. There's, Yowie, yeah. There's the Yowie. In a, they're, they're all over the place. And, um, and the, the thing that's... They're, they're in places where there's never been any other hominids except people they're just always where there are people right so it's it's this recurring um thing with with people i don't know what you want to call it <clears throat> and then i talk about um okay so if, when you talk about bigfoot you're not talking about a bigfoot you're talking about population it has to be a population of big feet that um and they have to been around for for thousands of years hundreds of thousands of years and presumably, if you if you believe these 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 sightings, they're all over the world, and um, and so we've had populations of these things for hundreds of thousands of years in lots of different places, and there's never been a single piece, never been a single hide, never been a single body, never been a single toe bone that's been you know found from these just lots of footprints and lots of sightings, you know. So does this make sense, <laughs> you know? Um, and anyway, you know, so most people say it doesn't. The diehard Bigfoot believers um, will have come up with all sorts of reasons for why. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of special yeah. pleading. But yeah. Oh, yeah. There's all sorts of social pleading. Um, but then I relate it to the wild man, the wild man uh, myth. And the wild man myth is actually, a, you know, an old myth of, of the wild man. And, and if you read about it, he's a, a big, hairy man that's untamed and wild and he's He's actually kind of um, what he is is the um, is the human is 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 man is the is natural man. In other words, it's man um, or you know, when I say man, I mean you know human, the human sapiens. That's right. That's right. Um, that's um, untamed and still wild. It's kind of our our wild half that lives out there, and. Um, and you got to be careful. You don't want to go out there because the wild, you know, the wild man will get you, and whatever. So I, I, I think it's kind of a. My, my guess is it's kind of. I mean, first of all, I don't think Bigfoot actually exists, and 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 my guess is it's kind of a. It's kind of a modern cryptozoological version of the wild man myth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it's kind of rather than being a wild man, it's actually now a species that that you know has been undiscovered or. We can't seem to really grab hold of. Sure. And um, we've just got a final couple of questions because we're coming to a close with the interview. Uh, we're just wanting to talk a little bit about uh, the, the course itself and how students have responded to the course and how how long you've been presenting this course for. Well, we, we taught it in class for about 10 years. 
the students loved it. Uh, it was very popular. We had to you know turn people away. They would get it would get filled immediately. Um, wow. And it was very um, it was very tribal. In other words, it was um, uh, you know they were in both classes. All the students were, were together. And we talked about a lot of stuff that was um, just pushing boundaries, kind of. And and it was interesting because you know we would talk about deformity, human deformity, and the causes of it. We had cool. um, we had. Um, you, do you remember the the the, the cat man a guy named Dennis Avner? If you Google Google image search Dennis Avner A V N E R, he was a guy. So. That, you might have seen him in, on some reality show or something. He was a guy had had spent a hundred thousand dollars on plastic surgery to make himself look like a cat. Yes. And you know whiskers, did lip, filed his teeth, everything. You know, <clears throat> we had him come to our class. Wow. And, and talk talk to the class. It was really cool. And and somebody who looks like that, um, you know, you, you would think maybe they're going to be a little odd, you know. I mean, eccentric in some way. You know, just you know, will you be comfortable, you know, talking to this person? So we brought him in the class, and he's just this guy. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, uh, within within ten. He looks seconds, like a cat. <laughs> he looks like a cat, but in ten in ten <laughs> seconds. In 10 seconds after you talk to him, he's just, you know, you just want to have a beer with him. He's just this regular guy. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting. Um, and we, we took him out to dinner, you know, afterwards for, to thank him for coming. And, 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 and the people in the restaurant, the waiters, we were just really, <laughs> they were kind of struck either between sort of odd, you know, because they kind of recognized him or, or just like, right. whoa, what, what is this, you know? And, um, and he, you know, he, he liked, he hammed it up, you know, he said, I want, I like a snake, extra rare, you know, and things like that. You know? <laughs> and and it was great. And 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 what was interesting about I guess I guess where I'm getting with all that that long story is that um, we'd have students in class and they would come up to me and say, you know, in Finland, I'm officially a midget. <laughs> and I'd say, really? <laughs> you know? I said, yes, you know, the limit they talk about the size limit and stuff like that. And they would be actually a very short person. In fact, I think I think the one who was talking to me had had received some growth hormones because they were clearly, you know, a, a proportional dwarf, and they were going to get some growth hormones to to kind of up them up a little bit. Or you know, they come up and say, "Oh, you know, my sister had webbed toes," you know, because <laughs> I just talked about that and things like that. So it was kind of this, um, I don't know, it was sort of like this inclusive kind of thing, you know. Like it was just interesting. I, I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, you know. It's a good way to to talk about human variation. Yeah, yeah. How normal is a range? Yeah, it it was all, and it was all accepted, you know. And it was all, uh, it was, it was interesting. Well, did did you have any issues setting up the course with your college, or were they pretty open to it? Yeah, we did. Well, um, we had we had to we had to work it a little bit. Um, First of all, we didn't want to team teach a course, you know, teach one course because we wouldn't know how we would grade separately and everything so we each did our own course and we we linked we said they were linked and so everybody had to go to both courses and to sign up for both courses and there there wasn't a a, there wasn't a um a system for that on on campus they didn't have any linked courses so we were the first one so we had to go to the registrars and make sure that whoever registered for one also registered for the other and um and so we did that the only way to advertise, the, you know, the, the courses were two separate courses in the catalog online. And so in order to let people know that this even existed, um, and, and, and Bruce's was like English 236 and mine was Geology 204 or something like that. 
we made a, I made up um, big posters and put them all over campus saying, you know, monsters for you know, like, what are you afraid of? You know, and a big picture of a monster, take the monsters course and find out and, and to be the, you know, the, the two course numbers that you'd register for. So we had to advertise it and people signed up. And then after a year or two, it, it, it was known. And so it just filled all the time after that. Um, and we got them both. We got them both made as what we call here in, in, in at Western GURs. It's general general university requirements. So there was something that you could, you know, they had, everybody has to take a certain number of science classes, certain number of this, certain number of that. So they were um, both listed as um, as a, a lower division science. Mine was a lower division science GUR, and his was a lower division English GUR. So they could get sort of requirement credit for taking them. And, uh, and so there we were, you know, we worked out pretty well, but we had to kind of work the system a little bit. Great. So what have been the most effective elements in your experience in using monsters as a teaching tool? Well, I mean, they're, they're just fun. I mean, everybody wants to, to hear about them. It, it, it was Bruce and I were, were very excited about the class. So, you know, we would come in all revved up about it and, 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 uh, you know, I've been a teacher long enough that I know that if um, if I'm revved up about something, I can make it interesting. I could talk if I was excited about cabbage, I could make cabbage really interesting. Um, and so I was really excited about these monsters, you know. So the students would be excited about. It. I mean, it's you know, if the if the professor is good and and uh, and is into it, you know, excited about it, you know, it rubs off. The important thing about teaching cabbage is Cole's law. Is what law? Cole's. Cole's law. Cole's law. Uh, Cole's law. Oh, oh, God. Okay, got it, got it, got it. We should have warned you about Blake before we started. That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) So what if, uh, have you run into any common misconceptions in teaching your classes? I know that when we sort of set this show up, one of the first things I really wanted to do is find out where I didn't know stuff. And that's what I love is finding out when I talk to a guest, I don't know something or I've misunderstood something. Well, the, the whole thing about the physics of size, they're surprised by that. You know, they think that, um, you know, that that, uh, that the giants would be okay, that they could work and they would sound like they do it. So they're surprised by that. I haven't gotten pushback on things like uh, natural selection or anything like that. I, My students have never really given me, in my classes, have never given me much pushback about things. If they have, if they have qualms, they keep it to themselves. Um, maybe that's because I'm six and a half feet tall and... and <laughs> And, you know, the deep voice, I don't know. I know that, you know, my, my uh, female professor colleagues get a lot more, get a lot more um, uh, guff about, about various things, but, but I don't usually, so I haven't had a problem with that. We have a final question uh, that yeah. we ask all of our guests, and that is, Tor, what's your favorite monster? <laughs> okay, I was prepared for that. And that's a very complex question, you know. You, you got, we know, I have, we I have, know. I know. <laughs> I have, I have difficult answers for that. That's a tough one. That's so okay. I actually, I actually had to come up with four answers for you. I'll, I'll try to make them as short as I can. Um, in terms of a real life, I've always just loved the long-necked dinosaurs, you know. I mean, that's, if you want to call that a monster, I mean, like Diplodocus. They're just, um, there's just something wonderful about it because it's just, a stomach on legs with a feeding tube. And it just, and that's all it does. It just, it just moves its head back and forth. And, 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 and through that tiny little head, 
it feeds mm-hmm. this enormous this body that's as big as a whale. And mm-hmm. I just think that's that's a wonderful thing. And they have these other these other characteristics that are that are very odd. I mean, it's just a dino, just that's a dinosaur. That's an animal that is like no other animal, you know. And it's yeah. and it's it's wonderful. And then if it was if it was a living monster, I think my favorite have to be well in terms of a, a real monster. I mean, like you would call it a monster would be um, the giant squid. And um, it's it's. Because my personal experience with octopus and things like that and cuttlefish, they're very smart, and they're very um, they can they can camouflage. I mean, they, they can shape shift oh, yeah. and camouflage itself in wonderful ways. And so something that was that big and that smart that could do that, that's that's cool. And there are there are pretty well um, uh, um, documented cases of them coming to the surface and attacking boats and things like that. So it's very rare because they're a deep sea animal. But there are some there are some pretty well documented cases of them coming up, and maybe you know um, actually attacking whales because whales sperm whales attack them. Yeah, yeah. The the, the, yeah. the scars on the sperm whales are pretty pretty conclusive. Yeah, and their yeah, stomach yeah. contents, for that matter. Yeah. Yes. The yes. The, uh, the the human attacks are interesting. I, I, on Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World or one of those series he did, they talked with. Uh, Friends of a guy who had, after World War II, had been in a life raft. And uh, one of his friends talked about tentacle sucker scars from a, a giant squid attack. It's very, very compelling. On, on the life raft? Yeah. Yeah. It's really oh, interesting. And he was in the life raft? When yes. It yes. It's really, oh. it's, it's like, it's it's probably the most compelling. Oh, what a story he must have had. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, geez. Oh, if so anyway, and in terms of fake monsters, I guess Alien would be my favorite. But but the one, you know, the one that disturbed me the most, and I'm still disturbed by it. And um, and in fact, I and I'll tell you because you you are interested in it. Everybody else I've told is sickened by it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, we may be too. I was. We have a hot tub out out in the back. We have a hot tub out in the backyard, and I was sitting out in this hot tub in the evening, you know, just zoning out and just enjoying the outdoors. And and on the edge of the hot tub landed this thing landed and I looked at it and it was a little, it was a little spider and a little wasp. And it was one of those Zick Newman wasps. And the, um, the, the wasp was about half the size of the spider. The spider was only about as big as a dime. And, and they were, they were fighting. And it was, if you looked at it, it was, it was just like, just like one of those fights between um, Superman and, and General Zod or something in a, in a movie where they're just, rolling around and crashing and clearly crashing. a life or death struggle it, it, right it yeah. was it was it was just you could you could hear the crashing and the screams of the of the spider it was just like it was just vivid and and the the spider's trying to bite the um the uh, wasp because he's got a poisonous bite and the and the and the wasp was trying to sting the spider the, the spider's got eight uh, eight legs and he's kind of fending him off and trying to bite this the, the wasp so they're just struggling and all of a sudden I see the wasp gets inside the legs and bites off one of the um, spider's jaws, which just drops down and lands wow. on the edge of the. Of the wow. Then he reaches in and bites the other jaw, and so there's these two little jaw pieces sitting on the edge of the hot tub. Then he starts biting off his legs. One, two, three, four, four legs just laying there, twitching, and he stings the spider. Now the spider's incapacitated, and then he just kind of balls him up, tucks him underneath his legs. And flies off with him, and I thought, "Oh my God, that spider's still alive! Still alive! Yeah, he's going to lay eggs. He's going to lay eggs in the spider, and the spider's going to sit there 
alive while this egg's growing him. And you know, you know, and you know the rest of the story. And I thought, absolutely, that is horrifying. I just mm-hmm. watched the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. And there's four legs are still laying there on the side, giving a little twitch, you know. And I, I told that at a dinner party, and I, I did not go over well. The, 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 I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> they were not as excited about it as I was. <laughs> Uh, the, the you know nature red in tooth and claw that's easy oh, nature geez. horrifying in tooth and claw yeah. <laughs> yeah we've had a lot of that in this discussion yeah yeah <laughs> yes yes yeah. now now i still teach the class online and and people can take it online at, at western washington university on their western online uh, offerings so fyi mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually one of the follow-ups I had was if if our listeners is it possible to audit the class without signing up for the whole college or how does that work? You got you know you anybody can take it, but you got to pay. No, so, yeah, I'm not asking so, for free, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a tuition cost, yeah. but anybody can take it. You don't have to be a student. You don't have to. You can you can sign up tomorrow for it if you want to. You That's just go fantastic. to the West, go to the Western website and go to Google or search for Western online and then it'll be geology 204. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes Fantastic. for sure. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, Tor, thank you so much for talking to us. Yes. It's absolutely been a great wonderful. chat. <laughs> I had a great time. It, just, it got me going. I'll go tell my wife that's, I'll, I'll try that wasp and spider story on her again. Maybe she'll, maybe she'll take to it. This will be the night. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good luck. A nice romantic yeah. evening. <laughs> Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just listened to an interview with Dr. Tor Hansen of Western Washington University discussing how he uses monsters to teach science. You can learn more about his course through the link in the show notes at monstertalk.org or by searching for Western Washington University Geology 204. If you decide to take his online course, be sure and let us know about it. Monster Talk's an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed on this show are those of myself and my guests and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. Longtime listeners to Skeptoid and also to our colleague podcasts often ask, what can I do? We all believe in the value of critical thinking and of the intellectual tools that help us tell fact from fiction. But we don't always know how to best spread those tools to others. Well, let me offer one easy and effective option. Skeptoid Media, that's us by the way, is currently in production on a feature documentary titled Science Friction about how the media abuses its science experts by misquoting them or editing them out of context exploiting their reputations to promote sensationalized news or fake documentaries promoting debunked alternative histories. Part of our mission as a nonprofit is that we will retain educational rights to give this movie free to teachers worldwide, alongside complete, professionally produced educational materials to bring formalized lessons in critical thinking and scientific skepticism directly into classrooms. To retain those rights, we're crowdfunding the initial production. We're just about halfway to our goal right now, which you can see at sciencefriction.tv. You want to know what you can do to give the tools to students? This is it. We're asking a basic contribution of $100. If you're on the team, now's the time to take the field and play ball. Please come to sciencefriction.tv and make your tax-deductible donation to Science Friction. We ask $100, but any amount helps. 
Donate enough, you can even become an executive producer and get a legitimate screen credit. ScienceFriction.tv. Watch the promo and see our stories. And you like science? Come on, baby, listen to us. Oh my God, is that good? <laughs> yeah, that was that was epic. Listen to the Mad Scientist podcast on all of your iTunes and other listening things. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell. Here is my co-host, Marie Mayhew. And we sing, we sing, we sing a lot. We sing for science. Yes. We talk about science, we talk about history, we talk about ghosts and monsters and UFOs and things, and it's a lot of yeah. fun. So come learn about yes. ghosts and UFOs and physics and chemistry and a little bit of biology. And about economic collapse. On the Mad Scientist Podcast! Oh my god. Monster Talk theme music's by Pete Stealing Monkeys. Thanks so much for listening. Want to stay abreast of the latest from Skeptic Magazine and the Skeptic Society? Want cutting-edge skeptical articles delivered straight to your inbox every week? Then subscribe to eSkeptic, the free electronic newsletter of the Skeptic Society. Visit skeptic.com to sign up. Cool. Is it cold there now? Yes. I mean, <laughs> for, for us it is. It's in the 40s. I it's like low 40s. Here. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, it's it's 40, or like falling towards 39 right now. Oh, brr. Well, it's two degrees Celsius here. I'm still on Celsius. What's that in uh, dollars? I don't know how that works. What? <laughs> Five dollars. <laughs> Goodness, that's very cold. <laughs>